2,000 years ago, there were some fishermen fishing, doing what fishermen do. Their names were Peter, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Jesus went up to the first two, and he said this. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then Jesus goes on down the side of the water, and he sees two more fishermen, and he says the same thing, and the result was the same. See, when Jesus said, come follow me, he didn't say, come follow me, and I'm going to give you a new set of beliefs. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you a good person. But there was something so powerful and packed into those two words, follow me, that it caused these men to drop everything they were doing. And follow Christ. If you notice it doesn't say. And they responded. Jesus let me go home and crunch some numbers. And make sure I can afford this first. They didn't say hang on. I need to, I need to think about it a little bit. I need to pray about it. You know, So then maybe I'll come follow you. They dropped everything right then. And they followed Christ. And as we were looking at. The next teaching series way back. When we were trying to think what the next one would be. We kind of became intrigued by those two words, follow me. That they would pack such meaning behind them that people would alter the course of their life. They would throw down everything and follow Christ because he said those two words. I mean, what was so powerful behind those two words that would cause such a radical response? If somebody did that today, they would call it cultic or just radical or, you know, religious fanatic that you just drop everything and totally change everything about your life. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking more deeply at what those two words mean and what it means for us to follow Christ. We're going to look at different episodes in the New Testament where Jesus asked people to follow him, where people chose to follow him, some people chose not to follow him. But we're going to look at what all that means and how that works. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now, going up the aisles. If you don't have one today, please take one. Uh, we want everybody in here to have a Bible. At LifePoint, we believe that the words you read in there are true. And if you internalize them, they will lead you closer to God and reveal to you a knowledge of how to have a relationship with Christ. If you're here for the first time, we appreciate you coming and sharing part of your morning with us and, and checking out church and, and seeing if it's all that you may have heard it was. But as we look at this phrase or these two words from Jesus, you might think, well, I've made a decision to become a Christian or follow Christ a long time ago, so what's in that for me? I promise you will learn something. As we've gotten into this and our teaching team sits every week and studies through this stuff together, I've learned stuff. I've learned a little more what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. And if you've been coming for a while and you haven't made that decision yet to follow Christ, and, and maybe you consider yourself on the fence, but there's something that keeps, keeps pulling you back here and you keep coming back, over the next few weeks, I believe it's going to be revealed to you what it means to follow Christ. And that tug that you've been feeling that keeps drawing you back here is going to get stronger and stronger. You may have noticed at LifePoint, you don't hear us say the word Christian very often. 
And it's not because we think the word Christian is bad. It's just that we believe it's lost its intended meaning. That, that when, you, when Jesus, when you read about Christians in the New Testament, it's a whole different thing than what it's come to mean today. Today, it's just kind of come to mean that it's, it's, it's another label that describes belief. It used to mean little Christ, people who follow after Christ. But it's come to be just another label that describes some beliefs, just like a label maybe Republican, Democrat, American, European, just another label. But Jesus meant for it to mean so much more than that. And that's why you hear us say Christ follower instead of Christian. Not that we think that's a bad way to refer to people who follow Christ. We just believe it's lost its intended meaning. One author in the book, Jesus with Dirty Feet, had this to say. Jesus was not a Christian. He never asked anyone to become a Christian. Never built a steepled building. Never drew up a theological treatise. Never took an offering, never wore religious garments. He simply called people to follow him. That's it. That, despite its simplicity, is it. He called people to follow him. It's never more and never less than Jesus' call, follow me, and a response. Jesus said, follow me, and they did. See, follow me is not a call to change the belief part of my life and just become a, a better person. Because we all know that humans have this way of changing things on the outside and never changing things on the inside. We all have that ability to do that. And people tend to do that. You might be labeled something on the outside, but be something completely different on the inside. That's why the term Christian doesn't quite describe any longer what it means to follow Christ. Why is it that the divorce rate among Christians is about the same as the divorce rate among non-Christians. Why is it that hotel managers will say that when a Christian convention is in town, the hotel's use of X-rated movies goes through the roof? Could it be that that word has come to mean something it was never intended to mean? Could it mean it's just a label that describes what somebody is on the outside but never gets deep into the heart of what Christ meant for it to mean? See, there were a lot of things packed behind the words, follow me, when Jesus said it. And to find the answer to what Jesus really meant, we have to just really get deeper into scripture and kind of think about what, what, what could have possibly been behind those two words that would make people just throw out everything they were doing and follow Christ. One of my favorite authors and teachers is named Rob Bell, and he has a book called Velvet Elvis. And there's a chapter in that book that describes a little better what these Jewish men must have heard, these four men I talked about a moment ago, what it must have meant to them to hear the words, follow me. And he goes in and he talks about how in the Jewish culture, the way kids were educated was a little bit different than today. They would take mostly young boys aside at age six, and from age six to age 10, it was their time to learn the Torah. And the Torah was king in Jewish culture. 
I mean, if knowing the Torah inside and out meant you were more, more or less successful depending on how much of the Torah you knew and applied to your life. And the Torah is just the first five books of the Old Testament. If you've got a Bible in your hand today, you've got a copy of the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the Torah. And they would take these little kids at age 6 to age 10, and they would teach them Torah. And by age 10, many of them would have memorized every word of the first five books of the Old Testament. That's a lot. Of, that's a, I don't have those memorized. Imagine a 10-year-old kid. And some of the kids were obviously smarter than others and above the other ones. And so they would take these best of the best of this 6- through 10-year-old year, ten kids. And, and, and if they began to just really, really get it, they would get to move on to the next level of education. And in that next level of education that started at age 10 and went through age 14, they would learn the rest, the other 34 books of the Old Testament, 39 books in all. And by age 14, the best of the best, the ones that were really smart, the ones that really applied themselves, would memorize from Genesis to Malachi. I mean, just take your Bible and section off Genesis to Malachi. They would have it memorized word for word. And among that group, there would be kids that were smarter than others and the best of the best. And, and if you were the best of the best, you kind of got to sit in the head of the class. I mean, you, you got attention the other ones didn't get. I remember one of my elementary school teachers would take the kids who excelled at, at all the subject, that were just somehow smarter than the rest of us, and they would take four or five out of a class of 25, and they would put them up in the corner all by themselves, up in the front of the class. And the rest of us were stuck in the back, so we would be reminded how dumb we were every time you know, we came to school. It's like, well, if you were feeling good about yourself today, just go take a seat and so you can get some reality, you know. And have you thought about trade school? You know, that, that's what they did for the kids in the back. And it didn't feel good not to be part of that group. And that's what was happening in this Jewish way of teaching these kids. These 14-year-old boys, all of a sudden, some of them would rise to the top and the rest of them were looked at like, hey, maybe you ought to go take up the family trade. Maybe you ought to think of doing something else because this whole... Memorizing scripture thing is just not working for you. So the best of the best, the front of the class, would hear a knock on their door. And a rabbi would be standing at their door, and he would say two words. He would say, follow me. And those two words meant that you're smart enough, you're accepted, and that rabbi believed that you could do what he did. And when he said, come follow me, that meant come and let me teach you how to do what I do because I believe you've got what it takes. And when they heard those two words, follow me, they dropped everything. They packed their bags at 14 years old. They left their family. They left whatever it was behind. And they went with that rabbi and they were taught. And the boys that never heard that knock at the door, that never heard a rabbi say, follow me, they were just told, Maybe you should learn a trade. Maybe you should be a hunter or a carpenter. Maybe maybe a fisherman. It doesn't feel good not to be chosen. I remember in the seventh grade, I wanted to make the junior high basketball team terribly. 
I'd played buddy league basketball, and there were like 10 or 15 teams there. And you get in junior high, and there's one school, one little town, and there's a very limited number of spots, and all these guys going out for it. And I tried, and I practiced my layups, and I did drills, and I, was, I just knew I was going to make it. I was watching my foul shots, and, I, and, and one day during that week of tryout, the coach came in the locker room. I was in there by myself, and I was like, this is it. Here it comes. I'm on the team. You know, he needs me. He's going to have a jersey and a number. And, and he said, Donnie, how would you like to be the seventh grade boys basketball manager? And that's a nice way of saying you're not good enough to be on the team, but I like you, you know, so why don't you come be the manager and just walk around with us and, and that's about all you did. You never got to dress or do anything like that. And I remember being devastated. And every week when my family and I don't, I can't believe I'm telling you this, we gather around the TV and we watch American Idol. You know, and we're watching and we're picking our favorites and, and, and then all of a sudden they don't get chosen and they cry and they act like the world's not going to get to be blessed by their talent and, and they're just devastated because they weren't chosen. And you probably have a story like that too of not being chosen. It doesn't feel very good. So all those little boys that never heard a rabbi say, follow me, would have had to go out and learn a trade and basically been school dropouts out doing manual labor. So here are these young men cleaning fish, stinking at the end of the day, and a rabbi named Jesus Christ comes along and says the two words they never got to hear. Two words that stay way more than follow me. Because when they heard it, they were wondering if life could get more tough. They were wondering, how long am I going to have to go home stinking like a fish? How long is the culture going to look at me like a flunky? And then they hear those two words, follow me. No wonder they threw down their nets. If they were in their late 20s, by the time Jesus came to them, they had lived 10 plus years thinking, gosh, why didn't I do better in school? Gosh, why didn't they choose me? And then they hear a rabbi knock at the door. And they drop everything and they follow him. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, he could have gone to anybody he wanted to, to say, I want you to take my message to the world. He, he could have gone anywhere. He could have gone to the religious centers of the day, the people that knew the Torah, the people that knew the whole Old Testament inside and out. He could have thought, I want to go to these people because they know the law. They know it inside and out. And they're going to be the best ones to share this message with the world that needs to hear it. That's not where he went. He didn't go to the people that had the intellectual knowledge. He went to the people he knew at heart. And he knew had longed for something. And he knew they were probably thinking, life's got to be better than this. Jesus went for heart 100% of the time. The religious leaders wouldn't have listened to him anyway. So he goes to these men and he says, follow me. And they drop their nets and they follow Christ. And that tells us some very interesting things about Jesus. The first thing is that Jesus accepts me, Jesus meets me where I am. You know, Christians have a way of making, think, making people think they've got to get their life all cleaned up before they come to Christ. And if you've ever been made to feel like, well, I'm not good enough and I can't get it all down just right, so I can't follow Christ. If anybody's ever told you that or made you feel like that, you were misled. Because that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to know. 
that he meets us right where we are. And every time, every time I see or hear how people were burdened down with, you've got to fix all this stuff and then maybe Christ will accept you. I just think, God, you know, could a bolt of lightning please, you know, or something. Don't let people be misled because Jesus takes us right where we are. I have a friend who for, for the 20 years since I've known Christ, six months ago I celebrated 20 years since I was in school and finally found a Bible study and a group of people that presented Christ to me for the first time. And in that 20 years, I have a friend who I've shared many times what that's meant. And I've asked him, hey, man, what keeps you from stepping over the line? What keeps you from, from, from doing this, from getting this? is the greatest thing going. You know, Jesus will take you right where you are. And he said, man, I'm too angry. Once I can finish, once I can get my anger fixed, then I'll think about becoming a Christian, as he would call it. Because he thinks that Christians are perfect people. I wonder where he got that idea. Maybe it's because that's what a lot of Christians act like, is they're perfect on the outside. And he thinks, well, if I can't be perfect, if I can't control my anger, then I can't come to Christ. I can't become a Christian. What are you dealing with that you're thinking, if I can just get this fixed, then... I'll give my life to Christ. Then I'll move closer to having that relationship with Christ. I have news for you. Look, you're all intelligent people, right? It looks like everybody was able to get up and get dressed and get here to the theater. So you you got at least some level of intelligence. So if you could have fixed something in your life by now, wouldn't you have fixed it? I mean, I tell my friend, look, if you could fix your anger, you would have fixed it already. Jesus can fix your anger. You don't have to be perfect. If you could be perfect, what would you need him for anyway? It'd be like, what's up, Jesus? I'm already perfect. You know, I don't need any of that stuff you got going on because I'm perfect. That's where you go to get things fixed. That's where you get the strength to get things fixed. And when those men heard Jesus say, follow me, they knew all of a sudden he's willing to take me right where I am. I don't know the Torah. They didn't stop and say, well, hold on, Jesus. I never memorized the Torah. I never got the whole New Testament or Old Testament thing down. I'm sorry, I can't follow you. They dropped it and followed because they knew it must not matter that they didn't know the Torah. They knew that it must not matter that they didn't know the whole Old Testament. They knew that Jesus saw them for their full potential. He saw what he could make them into. And you don't have to get yourself all fixed up before you follow him. If you did, we would all be in trouble. Jesus takes us right where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what our lifestyle is, no matter what we've done or are doing right now. takes you right where you are, but he loves you so much that he won't let you stay there. So whatever your lifestyle is, whatever's going on in your life, whatever has gone on, he gives you the strength to leave that behind but he meets you right where you are. There's a couple of episodes from Jesus' ministry where he came up to people and, and, and he said the same thing, follow me. He came up to this tax collector named Levi once, and whose name was also Matthew. And he said, this to, he said this in Luke 5, verse 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, 
and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So here's this tax collector, which is like saying modern day, it's like IRS agent. Okay, so just imagine you go home today, knock at the door. Who is it? It's the IRS agent. I just want to come over and have dinner with you. You know, you'd be like, oh, I don't think so. Because who wants to sit and have dinner with, if you're an IRS agent, I'm sorry. Who wants to sit and have dinner and talk taxes with an IRS agent? That's what these guys were like, except these guys, uh, first century tax collectors were dishonest. They, you knew if you paid them tax, they were putting a little bit in their pocket. You, you knew that. And these guys who were tax collectors never made it through school, so here they are having to learn a trade. It's tax collecting. Everybody hated them. They never heard the words, follow me. This rabbi comes up to this one guy, Levi, and says, follow me. He's like, forget the extra money. Forget it all. I'm going to follow because finally somebody doesn't think I'm a crook. Somebody sees my heart. Somebody believes in me. And not only did he follow Christ, he called all of his tax collector buddies and said, you're not going to believe this. There's somebody who believes in us. So they got together with Jesus and all these tax collectors. Now, the religious people got really upset about this because why would Jesus want to be around sinners? And Jesus answered the religious people and said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. We're all sick. And he's the doctor. And he spent three years trying to convince religious people of that. So they heard the words, follow me. And just like he does with us, he asked them to follow him and he challenged them to change their life. Another thing these two words mean is that Jesus believes in me. You've probably heard your whole life that you need to believe in God, but have you ever thought about God believing in you? You will accomplish more than you could otherwise when someone believes in you. And I regularly make sure my kids know, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I I believe you can become what you want to become. And they'll do more. Yes, they're going to fail. Yes, they're going to try to do things they can't do. But when they know dad believes in them, they're going to go further than they ever could if they were wondering, does anybody believe in me? And you may have never heard anybody on this earth say, I believe in you, but your creator does. And when he says, follow me, he's saying, I believe you can do what I do. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The way that is worded is, enter into a process with me. It's not, you're going to be fishers of men today, but I'm going to make you into that. I'm going to transform you. And that's the same thing he's asking us to do when he says, follow me. He's saying, enter into this process. And the anger and the hurt and whatever it is in your life, the bad habits, whatever it is, I will help you get rid of that and I will make you into what you were created to be. And that's why those fishermen, And those tax collectors dropped everything because all of a sudden, in a world and in a culture that didn't believe in them and thought they were nobodies, they found out they were a somebody. And I know there's people here today thinking, should I follow? Should I not? Should I keep coming back? Should I not? And I pray that that tug stays on your heart and you still feel that tug to move towards Christ. Maybe you've believed in Christ, but you've never followed him. Well, keep coming back because over the next few weeks, you're going to learn over and again what he really meant when he said, follow me.
He meets you right where you are, and he believes in you. So when those 14-year-old boys would hear that knock at the door, and they would leave with the rabbi, when people spoke of them, they would say, he went with rabbi so-and-so, and the way they described it was he took on his yoke. Because a rabbi's beliefs and system of teaching, whether he was a conservative rabbi or a liberal rabbi, whether he went from the letter of the law or the spirit of the law, that was called his yoke. And when you were called to follow that rabbi, you were called to carry his yoke, his method of interpreting scripture. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, people were burdened down with religious yokes. They were carrying things they were never meant to carry. And this rabbi named Jesus said this, about his yoke. In Matthew 11, verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So when you hear those words, read those words, follow me, that's a little more about what Jesus meant and what would motivate people to change their lives. And as you internalize those, those words over the next few weeks, it's going to motivate you to lean on him to help you change the things that need to be changed in your life. Because we've all got things that need to get out of our lives. We've all got things we need to bring into our lives. When Jesus says, follow me, just like he said to those men, he's saying, I accept you right where you are. And I believe you can become the person I created you to be. Let's pray. God, we are humbled that we get to follow you. That you believe in us. That you would accept us in spite of all the messiness in our lives, all the mistakes. All the times when we try to start over again. All the times when we, when we come to you and say... God, I'll never do it again. God, you still accept us right where we are. Thank you for the conduit of change that you provide us. And Father, for those people today that are sitting on the fence, may they feel the tug on their heart of you calling them to follow you right where they are today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.